You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 19 through 29 through the end of the chapter this morning, finishing up chapter 1 in our series through the book of Colossians. Really excited about this book uh, for one main reason, and that's because it's about Jesus. And that sounds kind of funny that we would be excited about a book of the Bible that's about Jesus, but Colossians really is all about Jesus and His preeminence and the fact that He wants to be the, the ruler and the king of our life. Not in a weird kind of way where He's like, you know, anal and He wants to just micromanage everything. Not in that kind of way, but in the way that He loves us so much and He knows that His ways are best and that He can do the best job. And when we put Him in charge, man, it's amazing what happens when we step off the throne and we put Him on the throne. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. And just kind of starting off, I, I want to kind of make you guys think about the difference of pointing people to Jesus and sort of pointing people to ourselves. And think about that for a second. Pointing people to Jesus rather than pointing people to ourselves, I think whenever we come to church, uh, we think that, man, it's going to be about Jesus, and it's going to point me to Jesus. And hopefully that's true, but I often wonder, and, I, and I've often taught messages where at the end, I think to myself, you know what, I did not point people to Jesus. I pointed people to their own efforts, or, or something that they can do for God, rather than what He's already done for them. And, and I make a, a real concerted effort to leave you guys with Jesus and pointing you to Him because He's already done everything. And anything that we do for Him is simply a response. And even our obedience and our holiness and, and the fact that we want to walk the, the way that we've been told for years. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you've, you've heard you've got to do this and you can't say that and you, you shouldn't watch this and you better give and you better act up. You better act a certain way. And so often we, we have all of this going on in our mind of what we need to do and how we need to act and what we need to say and, and we become legalistic. And this burden gets placed upon us. I think a lot of times it's why people leave the church. A lot of times it's why people end up walking away from the Lord because they, they feel like they can't do it. They, there's just nothing in them that is powerful enough to, to do these things. And it's a real sad state, I think, of where we can get to and maybe where the church has already come is when we get away from Jesus and pointing people to Jesus and not to ourselves and not to a program and not to a set of rules and regulations, but to Jesus. And man, I hope when you guys come here every week that you walk away thinking about Jesus. That you walk away just absolutely overwhelmed with His love for you. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about Jesus. We want to talk about the fact that He wants to be preeminent in your life. And we're going to see three things in our text this morning. We're going to see the heart of God. We're going to see the work of God, and then finally we're going to see our service to God. And so the heart of God, verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness should dwell. 
For it pleased the Father, it pleased God, that in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity, that's what he's speaking about in the context here, if you look at the preceding verses, the deity of Christ, that all the fullness of God, and in this word fullness, it means to the point of exhaustion, to the point of emptiness, that all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And it pleased the Father that that would happen. Why did it please the Father? Because it pleased God that Jesus, the man, would represent God to a lost and dying world. And you look at verse 15, it tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That is, that He's the exact representation of God. That He's the fullness of God. And it pleased God that Jesus would come and that He would live a life among us. That He would be God tabernacling in the flesh among us. It pleased God that that would happen. It, it was the heart of God. This is God's heart. And we've talked about this, that if you want to know God, if you want to know what God talks like and what God acts like and how God responds to people and how much God loves people and how patient God is, if you want to know that, then you just look at Jesus. And oftentimes we'll say, well, I don't know God. He's too distant. He's too far off. I've never seen Him. Maybe if He showed up one day and revealed Himself to me, then I would want to know Him. But, I mean, He's just like a stranger to me. And see, that there could be nothing further from the truth. Because Jesus came. All the fullness of God came. And He walked this earth. And He dwelt among us so that we can see Him. And we can relate to Him. You see, God wanted more than anything else to relate to you. To identify with you. Not to be distant. Not to be far off. God always wanted to be with man. This wasn't some idea that he had at the last minute. Like, you know what? It would be cool to hang out with them. And, he, and here comes Jesus. No, you remember in the garden that God walked with Adam? And they talked. And do you remember that when Adam and Eve chose to sin that that fellowship was broken and that God came looking for Adam. Not that he didn't know where he was, but he was illustrating that there was separation now. Adam, what, what have you done? Where have you gone? Because now that relationship was broken. And see, from that point on, the, the relationship, the identification that God so wanted to have with us wasn't possible because there was this wall. There was this division and we were drowning, as we sang this morning, in our own sin. We were separated from God. But God so wanted to be with us. And, and we even see glimpses of that. That even in the midst of that separation and that broken fellowship, that God would continue to come and, and relate to people. You remember how He would come and, and hang out with Abraham? Remember how He wrestled with Jacob? Remember that Moses talked to him as a man talks to his friend? Remember the Bible says that David had a heart after God and that God would give him all these amazing poems to write because God, even though David was a flawed man, God wanted to have relationship with him. And David understood that. I think maybe even more than any other Old Testament character, David understood the fact that all these sacrifices and all this religious activity, man, that wasn't God's heart. That God just wanted to have relationship with man. 
And you know what, you guys? I want you to have the heart of David, to understand that God wants to have relationship with you. That all of the church stuff and all of the religion and all of the stuff that you think you have to do for God to like you and to love you, man, that's not true. That God loves you despite anything you do for Him. That God loves you despite anything that you do that's against Him. That you can do nothing to make God love you more than He already does. And you know what? You can do nothing to make Him love you any less. And for some people, that concept is so hard to fathom. That concept is so hard to get through our religious mind, our legalistic tendencies. Because it's what I do. It's, it's how often I'm in church. It's how loudly and how passionately I sing the songs. It's how much I read my Bible. It's how faithful I am to give. It's, it's how sincere I am in my service to God. It's what I do. And see, all of those things I just mentioned, they're things that we ought to be doing. But we ought to be doing it as a response. We ought to be doing it because we already have relationship with Him. Just like you have a relationship with your husband or your wife, or maybe you will someday. And hopefully, you're not going to be doing things for them to earn their love. Hopefully, you're not going to do things so that you can have relationship with them. You're going to do things for them because you already have that and because you love them and you want to express that love. See, that's what God wants with us. And right now, it's a little fuzzy. It's a, it's a little bit cloudy because of our sin and our flesh. But man, one day, we're going to walk and talk with God like Adam did. And it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be what God intended. That relationship that God wants to have, made so clear in verse 19 that it pleased the Father. It pleased God. Do you know that Isaiah 53 tells us that it pleased God that He would crush His Son? That with our sin, He would crush His Son. That it pleased God. Think about that. Think about your child and think about uttering those words. That yes, it pleased me. That it made me happy. That my son, that my daughter was crushed under the weight of somebody else's guilt. The Bible tells us that, that no longer would God relate to us in a distant kind of a way. Jeremiah 31. It tells us that there would come a point where God would relate to us as a friend because He would dwell in our hearts. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Maybe you've had a far-off, distant kind of relationship that's more of a religious experience. And I want to tell you guys... There's all kinds of religions out there. Don't make Christianity just another religion, just another set of rules and regulations. Christianity is unique in that it gives us hope. It gives us the assurance that God wants to have relationship with us. We see the heart of God here. We also see the work of God. The work of God that made what God desired come to fruition. See, God had a heart for us. He, he wanted to relate to us. He wanted to, to identify with us. He so longed to dwell with us. That was his heart. That was his desire. But he knew that it wasn't possible apart from sacrifice, apart from him giving his life for our sin. And so we see the work of God. In verse 20 through 23, it says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself. That word reconcile means to bring peace. That what was separated, 
What was estranged is now brought back together to reconcile, to make peace, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, that is by Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And so we see what He did here. He brought reconciliation through His cross, through the blood that He shed for us. And we see that it's not only man that's going to be reconciled, it's the entirety of creation. Do you know that when we fell into sin, that when mankind chose to bring sin into the world, that creation was separated from God too. And that's why Romans says that that creation is groaning, that it's calling out to be what it intended to be. That is God's place of dominion. And that isn't true right now. The world isn't what it's intended to be. The world is tainted with sin. And and even some of the simple things that, that we do on a daily basis prove that to us. The weeds that are in your garden right now, that are out in your flower beds, that are cropping up because it's, you know, 70 during the day and then like 10 at night. And you, you're not quite sure, should I go out and start planting some flowers yet, you know, and you're, you're thinking about it. I know you are, because I am. You're thinking about, you know, pulling those weeds and getting stuff kind of going for the summer and mowing the lawn for the first time, maybe turning the irrigation on, not quite sure because it's so cold. I know what you're thinking. But the thing is, is that those weeds, they demonstrate to us sin, the thorns, and everything that's ugly, that family member that you're estranged from right now, it proves to you the fallenness of mankind, the the creaking in your house, the, the law of thermodynamics that basically tells us that everything is falling apart. You know that new car that you bought a few years ago and now it's not so new? You know that new shirt, those new shoes that just, they fall apart over time. That body of yours that's just, you know, needs an oil change. And you're just like, man, I need a new one, right? Well, we're, one day we're going to have that. And, and one day everything in creation is going to be redeemed and reconciled back to God. And in heaven, you guys, I want you guys to understand something about heaven. Heaven isn't like this weird place of utopia where we just sort of float around for eternity, strumming a harp and, you know, singing songs. I mean, that sounds cool for like a week, you know. That sounds like a vacation, you know. Sipping pina coladas, you know, watching the, the, the tide roll in. I mean, okay, that sounds cool. But, hey, after about a week of that, I'm bored out of my mind, I gotta have a challenge. I gotta have something to do. Don't think that heaven is going to be boring. Don't think that heaven is going to be any less exciting than earth. Don't think that heaven is going to be any less filled with emotion than what we have right now. And everything that you love about the earth, everything that you love about life, and everything that's cool, and everything that's godly, and everything that brings glory to Him, your family, your friends, that's what heaven's going to be. The relationships that you have. The, the amazing food that, that we get to create. And the things that we love. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to be anything less than earth. Well, why doesn't God spell that out? Why doesn't He tell us what it's going to be like? Because it's indescribable. How do you describe something like that? 
How do you talk about something like that without selling it short of what it really is? It might be like the first time you brought your kids to Disneyland. You know, it's kind of hard to describe all that there is. And so you might say to them, you know what, just wait till you get there. Can't describe heaven. That's why I'm real leery about some of these latest books that are written where guys want to tell us all about heaven and what it's like because the Apostle Paul went to heaven and he came back and said, you know what, God forbid me to talk about it. But now we got guys saying, hey, I went to heaven and here's what it was like. I don't know. I don't know, maybe they did. But the Bible doesn't choose to describe it for us because it's going to be so amazing. I believe it's indescribable. And so he made peace with heaven and with earth through the blood of his cross. And so this is what he did. Verse 21 tells us why he did it. Why he did this work. And you who were once alienated, that is to be separated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. We were separated from God. We were aliens. We were enemies of God. There was no neutral ground. This concept, this idea that we're all children of God, that we're all in a good place, that's not true. We're enemies of God. Our sin has separated us from God. And apart from Christ, we are completely helpless. And that's why He did it, because of the state that we were in. We were drowning. We were doomed. We were damned. There, there was nothing that we could do. No effort, no works could bring us to God. Have you ever been in a helpless situation where you would have died apart from someone's help? Where there's nothing you could do. That's the state that we were in spiritually. It was completely and utterly dependent upon God taking the initiative. The Bible says that we love Him because He first loved us. And we were alienated and enemies in our mind. We were opposed to God. The very thoughts of our mind, the very actions of our life proved it. And that's why, you guys, we, we ought not be surprised when the world simply demonstrates this. There's no reason to, to be up in arms about the fact that the world is simply manifesting the, the proof that it's separated from God. We needn't pick at that or scream and yell at people. That They're manifesting what's, what's true, what's real. And until they come to Jesus, until people see that they are lost and they are dying, they're just going to smell of death. They're just going to act out what is already true. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you've been trying really hard to have a relationship with God on your own. You've been trying really hard in your own efforts, in your own works, to, to have this religious experience so that you can call yourself a Christian, so that you can assure yourself that you're going to heaven. And I remember the first six months when God was drawing me to Himself and I was going to church with my parents. We never went to church, ever in my life. I'll never forget when I walked into my living room and my mom said, what do you think about going to church Sunday? It was like a Friday night. I said, I think you're out of your mind. Like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There, there's probably a hundred things I'd rather do. Remember those chores you told me that you wanted me to do? Yeah, let's do those instead. I mean, it was just nothing that we ever did, ever. Never talked about God, never did anything of the like. And because I wanted to respect my mom, I, I said I would go a couple times. 
And, and the Lord just continued to draw me. But for six months, I remember being in this state of, of trying to do it on my own, trying to be good and, and trying to be a Christian until God just revealed Himself to me and showed me that it wasn't about me, that it, it was about what He did for me. And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you've been coming here for a little while and, and maybe you've been trying to live for God. And maybe Monday is cool, you know. You leave here and you feel good and man, this is awesome. And, and Monday, I made it through the day. I didn't lie. I didn't scream and yell at people. I didn't cheat. But then Tuesday rolls around and you just feel like a complete miserable failure. And, and you feel like you have nothing in which to relate to God by. It's just all you. And God wants to speak to you this morning and say, look, it's not about you. It's about me and what I did. You're an alien. You're, you're estranged from me. You're separated from me. But my son came and he bridged that gap. He made it possible. You just need to put your faith and your trust in him. Remember what we started talking about this morning? It's about Jesus. Yet now he has reconciled us. This is why he did it, because we were separated. And verse 22 is how he did it. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. And so, in the body of His flesh, at the cross, Jesus took the sin of the world upon Himself. There was an amazing exchange where God poured out His wrath upon Jesus. And then Jesus extended His righteousness to you and to me. And apart from that, we're lost. Apart from that, we are desperately in need spiritually. The Bible says that blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means that you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. We understand economically what it means to be bankrupt, right? When you cannot pay your bills anymore and you get over your head financially. When what is going in exceeds, or what is coming in is not enough to, to pay what is going out. And over time, you'll go bankrupt. You'll be destitute. You'll lose your home. You'll lose your assets. Well, we were spiritually bankrupt. What God expected of us could not be met with what we could offer. And so He came and He paid the debt because He loves us so much. And He did that by giving His life, by allowing God the Father to pour out His wrath. See, there was wrath and holiness that had to be assuaged, that had to be taken care of for our sin. God couldn't just overlook it. God couldn't just say, you know what? It's no big deal. We'll just sweep it under the rug and we'll, we'll worry about that later. Go have fun. No, it had to be taken care of. It had to be dealt with. And he did it at the cross in the body of his flesh through death. He died so that we could live. He gave His life so that we could have life. And He presented us holy and blameless and above reproach, perfect in His sight. That's, that's how He presented us and presents us. Perfect, blameless. That's how He sees us. He doesn't see you all messed up. He doesn't see the sin that you committed this week. He doesn't see your faults and your failures. He doesn't see the fact that you keep committing that same sin over and over again and you keep confessing and you think, Lord, there must be some kind of 
you know, limit to this, where you're one day going to say, that's enough. I don't forgive you anymore. I'm tired of you. See, He doesn't see us that way. He sees us through His Son. He sees us perfectly. He sees us blameless. Do you know that? Do you know that that's how God sees you? Perfect. Blameless in His sight. Maybe even as a believer here this morning, maybe you just think, man, I got to try harder. I got to do more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to be in church more. And that's going to help me to be blameless. And that's going to help me to be what God wants me to be. And it isn't true. In fact, it can be a lie of the devil to make you think that your hard work will somehow enable you to have right standing with God. You guys, when you understand how God already sees you, when you understand that, when you understand how God views you already, not how He might view you if you just do A, B, and C, but how He sees you right now, how He perceives you, how much He loves you, If you understand that, man, reading His Word is no longer a chore because I want to hear from God. I mean, this is like a romantic love letter from a passionate pursuer of my soul. This this isn't dried up religion. This isn't a list of do's and don'ts. This isn't acquiring knowledge so that I can impress people when we play Bible trivia. This This is passion. This is romance. This is relationship. That's what God has. He sees you completely perfect. That's how He views you. And we have a choice. We have a choice when we leave here to relate to that and to identify with that and to recognize that and to live it out. That's called practical holiness. Or we have a choice to say, you know what? I know how God views me. I know I'm blameless. But I'm going to choose to live my own way. I'm going to choose to not identify with that, but I'm going to choose to identify with my flesh. And see, there's this war going on, and you have a choice. Are you going to identify with your flesh or with your spirit? But know this, it's already done. It's already done. It's like this perfect paradise over here. It's like this amazing gift that God's given us. And you can choose to enter into that. Or you you can live over here in the sewage and in the cesspool of your flesh. And so you have a choice. Not only on a daily basis, but minute by minute. What am I going to identify with? It's already done over here. It's not that i got to struggle and strive. Oh man, i got to be good. No, it's already done. i just got to identify. But it's so much easier to identify with this, isn't it? It's so much easier to identify with your flesh. But you got to put it to death. And I believe the way we put it to death is by recognizing who we are in Jesus. Not by trying harder, but by recognizing that He already did the work. The work of God. We see what He did, why He did it, how He did it. And then we see how it sort of worked out in our life. And I'm going to end with verse 23. I planned on doing 24 to 29, but we're not going to do it. We see in verse 23 how it is appropriated, how it takes root and manifests itself. If indeed you continue in the faith, And see, legalism would say, see, you got to continue. You got to try hard. You got to work it out. That's not what Paul's talking about. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul's talking about the gospel. And he's saying, look, just continue in the gospel, continue in the good news, continue in the faith. 
grounded and steadfast, not being moved away because these false teachers were moving into the church saying, look, the gospel's cool. Jesus is cool. But you've got to do this and this. And we have a higher knowledge. We've got more wisdom. These men in the church of Colossae were called Gnostics. And they were leading these young believers astray. They were moving them away from the simplicity of the gospel into a more complicated and convoluted message of man that says, you've got to do A, B, and C. And look, it might be wrapped differently today. I haven't met a Gnostic any time lately, but they exist. It's just repackaged. It's called something else. They ride bikes, they, they drive around, they wear nice clothes, they knock on your door, they write books... They've got publication companies. And you know what? It's not only them, but it exists in the church too. It exists in the church too. When we get away from Jesus and we start putting burdens and we start putting rules and regulations upon people, when we start telling people, well, you've got to act a certain way. Oh, you've got tattoos. Oh, man, you, you, got, you got issues. You got mental issues. You, you've got struggles. And we start judging people. We start alienating ourselves. And we start holding ourselves up in our nice little church with our nice little friends, dressing a certain way and talking a certain way. And it hurts and it pains God because we've left a whole segment of society outside looking in. And oftentimes, I think we've left Jesus on the outside looking in. And Jesus says, man, where did we go wrong here? What what?" Don't you understand about my heart? Look at what I did. How I lived my life. Look who I hung out with. And we have to continue in that. If you continue in the faith, you guys, don't let anything or anyone move you away from the simplicity of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't let anything or anyone move you away from God's grace. Don't ever feel like it's what you need to do for God. You guys, it always has to be Him initiating and we respond. Well, Pastor Ryan, doesn't that just give people a license to do whatever they want? I mean, you are just setting people free for anarchy. No, not at all. What does the Bible tell us? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's never been the rules. It's never been the sacrifice It's never been what you can do for God. Even in the Old Testament, it was never all that stuff. Do you know what all that stuff was for? Was so that they could have relationship with God. But what did God say? Man, I'm not excited about all those sacrifices. What did God say to Abraham? That he was justified by faith apart from his works. The same way we are. Man, I want to set you free to be free in Christ. I want to set you free to truly obey him with the right motivation, in the right spirit, in the right heart, not to gain favor with God, but because you already have favor with God. And then all of those things that God is putting on your heart will just be natural. It'll be a byproduct. It'll be fruit that'll sprout forth from your life in a very natural way. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's not something you strive for. It's something that just happens as you relate to God. Continue in that, you guys. Continue in the simplicity of the gospel. Keep your eyes on Jesus. May he be preeminent in your life. Let's stand and pray together.
You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.